Scripture reading for today is from Matthew chapter 5, verse 43, 48. Romans chapter 12, verse 14 through 21. This is God's word. You have heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if only you greet your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And in Romans chapter 12, Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly and never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. And if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Believe it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Amen. Good morning, everybody. I'm continually amazed by Pastor Andrew's effort to memorize scripture and recite it, right? Again, to memorize is one thing, but to actually recite it in front of a bunch of people, that's another thing, right? So I bless you, Pastor Andrew. <clears throat> I'm wondering if this like, throat thing I've been experiencing is uh, <laughs> an ongoing mental struggle. I don't know. All right, here we go. Revenge stories are universally uh, very popular because they appeal to our basic human longing for justice. Uh, two very well-known movies with a strong revenge theme running through the script are Taken, uh, starring Liam Neeson. I'm sure many of you watched that one. And Gladiator, starring Russell Crowe. I really enjoyed watching Gladiator. That's my kind of movie. Uh, Taken, I watched, uh, and I was thinking to myself, okay, if I want to scare Sella, right, from kind of going off on her own, I just have her watch Taken. <laughs> and I think she did watch it at some point and got kind of spooked, but most of you will be familiar with these lines. This is Liam Neeson on the phone with a man who kidnapped his daughter, right? Remember that scene? And he says, <laughs> I don't know who you are. I don't know what you want. If you are looking for ransom, I shouldn't be smiling here. I can tell you I don't have money. But what I do have are a very particular set of skills, skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. If you let my daughter go now, that'll be the end of it. I will not pursue you. But if you don't, I will look for you, 
I will find you and I will kill you. Gladiator, tell me what is your name? I'll just shorten this, okay? My name is Gladiator, <clears throat> father to a murdered son, husband to a murdered wife, and I will have my vengeance in this life or the next. Of course, it's more powerful with the background music going, but that's the best I can do this morning, okay? And of course, I can't fail to mention the popular K-drama that I recently finished called The Glory, or Pagrori, right? Uh, the main character says to her love interest that a key point in the drama and of course the translation, but even the translation's good, right? Whoever translated that script did a really good job on the way. I'm not looking for a prince. What I need is not a prince, but a headsman who will join me in the sword dance. In other words, I don't want romance. I want my revenge. Join me. It's powerful stuff. After Will Smith publicly slapped Chris Rock at the Oscars a little over a year ago, all eyes were on Chris Rock and people were wondering how he would respond to the cowardly and cruel act he had to suffer on live television, right? And after nearly one full year of silence, he finally got his revenge in the form of a Netflix special that was intended to completely humiliate and shame Will Smith and his family, by the way, for what Will Smith had done. But most people would describe Chris Rock's response as rather mild compared to what they believe Will Smith actually deserved. Right? What do you think about that? Now, I'm sure most of you would agree, but <clears throat> people are generally supportive of the basic concept that if someone wrongs you, it's perfectly fine to get back at them, right? This idea of personal revenge is understood in our culture to be a, an appropriate and acceptable response, right, if a crime has been committed against you. And I would go so far as to say that personal revenge is viewed as actually a moral virtue by so many people in our day, how do I know that? Because it's not only accepted, but it's celebrated, right? It's watched, it's like, man, I gotta tune in, you know? I wanna see what Chris Rock does. Eh, that's kind of mild, you know? They're kind of cheering on Chris Rock. Or you go, Mundongun, right, who's a character of the glory. <clears throat> because there's something cathartic about seeing people get what they deserve, even if it's by way of personal vengeance. Something satisfying about it. But then you have the example of Jesus who breaks the script, right? How does he do that? Well, first of all, on Palm Sunday, you see Jesus entering into Jerusalem mounted on a donkey. You see, if Jesus were just like one of us, he would have entered into Jerusalem riding on a war horse or a mighty chariot while wielding a sword in order to exact revenge on all who murdered his faithful prophets and have trampled upon his holy word through their ongoing rebellion and disobedience, right? And if that's what he chose to do, 
would any of us would be able to accuse him of wrong? For have we not rebelled against him? And have we not disobeyed his word? And do we not deserve to be judged for our sins? Let me just take a moment to highlight a few of the sins we are all guilty of. We love to worship creative things, don't we? We love to worship the things of this world, the things God has given to us as a gift instead of worshiping the creator himself. Sometimes we have to drag ourselves out of bed on Sunday morning to get here, right? It's such a hardship. While it's so easy for us to delight in the things of this world, no one has to force us to sin. We just do it because we love it. That is who we are, brothers and sisters, left to ourselves. We are such rebels. We fear our earthly authorities much more than we fear God. Isn't that true? We fear our earthly authorities because we don't want our comforts to be taken away in this life by those in power. We show partiality whenever it benefits us. In other words, we look down on those who are powerless, who are underneath us, those who are under our authority. We treat harshly because why we can. Why not? Convenient. We lust and we commit adultery with our hearts and by doing so we sin not only against God but against our spouses. We are often disgruntled and we lose our temper and we say hurtful things. We murder people with our hearts for our hatred and our anger toward them and we envy the life of others and we resent God for not giving it to us. I know we like to think we're better than what we truly are. We like to project a healthy image of ourselves whenever we can, especially on social media, but if we're honest with ourselves, we all know how broken we truly are. And yet, what has God's posture been toward you? Has he approached you riding on a war horse, ready to exact his revenge upon you for all your failures and offenses? Or has he humbly approached you on a donkey, ready to forgive you and offer his life for you? If Jesus wanted to exact revenge on all of his enemies, which have included me and would include all of you, it would, of course, been just for him to do so, but his humble entrance into Jerusalem, brothers and sisters, it's meant to remind us that the battle that we're engaged in is not ultimately against flesh and blood. Rather, it's a spiritual battle. And his greater enemies, such as sin and death and Satan himself, could only be defeated if he was willing to humbly give up his life for us on the cross and that is why he chose to ride on a donkey and not on a war horse, because he knew what this battle was about. He knew what his ultimate enemy was. 
You know, some of you had an incredibly difficult childhood. I got to hear uh, He Young's testimony during nine o'clock service. I'm so sorry you, you missed it. <laughs> I asked her, can you share your testimony for 11 o'clock as well? And she said, sorry, I have to serve. She's serving now. I think uh, childcare or a children's ministry, is it, rather. Um, but some of you had a very difficult childhood, which meant you had to live in fear of punishment, sometimes deserved, but oftentimes undeserved. I recently heard another testimony shared by a sister, and she described a season in her life when she and her sister would tremble every time they heard the garage door open because they weren't sure what mood their parents would be in that day. Can you imagine having to live in such fear as young children? Maybe that's your experience. But thankfully, God is not like our imperfect earthly parents. We do not need to tremble before a heavenly father in such a way because in Jesus Christ, our sins have been washed clean and we have been completely forgiven, praise the Lord. Brothers and sisters, know that you are being pursued by God, but he pursues you not to punish you, right? not to get his revenge over you, but he pursues you with his open arms, wanting to assure you of his unchanging and never-ending love for you. Do you believe that? And so the reason why we are called to love our enemies is because, see, we were once God's enemies, and yet he chose to love us. He chose to forgive us. Once again, verse 46, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Gentiles who, who never heard my name, they don't know me, and yet, right, what are you doing? Don't you know better, is the point. You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. In other words, because God is our perfect Father, He's not, our imper he's not an imperfect earthly parent, okay? He is our heavenly father, perfect in every way. We are his children. And because of that dynamic, see, him being our father, we being his children, we are called to be like him in every way. We are called to resemble him. I gave you this example a while back. I like it. Okay, I'm gonna give it to you again. You can think of it this way. Imagine, just for one moment, okay? If God were a cosmic cow, right, think about that. Guess what we would all have to do? We'd have to all open our mouths and do what? Moo, right? We would all have to moo in one voice if God were a cosmic cow. But thankfully, God is not a cosmic cow. He's rather a God who loves his enemies. And so we too, therefore, are called to sacrificially love our enemies, no matter how difficult that may be. 
we are called to resemble our Heavenly Father. Now, one reason why our culture is further unraveling and becoming more of a cruel place to live is because of this spirit of vengeance that's become much more dominant in the hearts of people. Have you noticed how people are so vengeful and they're just acting out their emotions every day? Let me, let me give you a, a recent example of this and how it's been playing out in our culture. In early March, the Tennessee governor signed a bill banning transgender surgeries on minors. Any of you have a problem with that? (laughs) And also, he restricted drag shows from taking place in public and in front of children. Anything wrong with that? And the leaders in the transgender community have decided to view that, they decided to view those sensible acts as violent attacks against their own children. And so they have vowed to get their revenge. Some of you may have heard on social media or whatever news source, you know, Trans Day of Vengeance, right? They would produce these, you know, documents about how we need to kind of get back at these violent attackers. So their logic goes like this. If you attack us by restricting surgeries on our children, then we will attack your children with violence. And that's a twisted notion that runs through the minds, minds that have been altered not only by sin, but also by puberty blockers and unnatural hormone-boosting treatments for most of their lives. We live in an increasingly rebellious and wicked culture run by rebellious and wicked people. And I tell you, brothers and sisters, the only antidote and cure to such wickedness is not this repeated cycle of vengeful acts to get back at people who have harmed you, but it is rather the gospel of grace and peace. That is the only way this vicious cycle of evil and revenge can literally be stopped in its, in its tracks and even be reversed. That's how the culture becomes healed, just a little. Dr. Catherine Coons, who was a principal at the Covenant School, and if you haven't been following the story, uh, the reason why this is a kind of A more important case for us is because the Covenant School is a ministry of the PCA. There's a PCA church there. Uh, They established the Covenant School as part of their ministry. So they're part of our family, right? They're directly part of our family. It's it's our sister church that has suffered, if you didn't know. And the pastors, the, the senior pastor's daughter is one of the victims who got shot. So it affects me a little bit more than most tragedies that are taking place in our day now. But Dr. Catherine Kuhns 
who was a principal at the Covenant School, was known to be an incredibly godly and kind-hearted woman. And I heard Stephen Curtis Chapman, uh, some of you are older, know who he is, right? Back when I was in college, he was known to be like SC Square, right? A very cool <laughs> uh, artist, you know, musician, you know, great at the guitar. Uh, I still kind of sing his songs. Uh, but Stephen Curtis Chapman said this about Dr. Koontz on TV. He said, her supernatural power was kindness. I never really thought of kindness as being a supernatural power, but the way our culture is now, I think kindness is definitely very rare. <laughs> and I'm so happy when I see it displayed and expressed. I think it is a supernatural power for sure because it's not common. It's not natural for us to be kind. But do you know where Dr. Koons got her supernatural power to be kind to people no matter what? God gave it to her, okay? because God was first kind to her when she was his enemy. Right? That's why she has been able to be kind to both friend and foe during her lifetime. And so because God is our Father, who is both loving and kind to us, we can no longer repay evil with more evil. We cannot retaliate in kind. That is not who we are as children of a perfect heavenly father. And so as we resemble our heavenly father more and more, that's, that is how this vicious cycle of sin and revenge stops. That's how evil stops in its tracks. We have a role to play, brothers, sisters. You know, we expect the world to operate based on such degrading principles. But we as a church, as you ought to know, we as a church are meant to be a new kind of community that's shaped by God's kingdom priorities and a gospel ethic that Jesus has modeled for us when he rode on a donkey, and when he washed his disciples' feet, and when he hung on that cross to take upon the punishment that we all deserved. That's the model that we are called to follow. That is the gospel ethic that has been handed down to us. Now here's the thing, I, I know that none of you would ever publicly deny the fact that we're called to love our enemies since it's clearly written in scripture, it's undeniable. But if you're like me, you've probably been confused at times as to how exactly are we to, supposed to love our enemies? Right? That, is, that is a very difficult question. Right? I know we're supposed to love our enemies, but, but how exactly are we supposed to love those who are not repentant, for instance, or who continue to pose a threat those around them. I think of the sexual abuser. Think of the active shooter, perhaps. Think of the one causing damage in your life right now, continually. You know, many years ago, 
I did a four-part series based on this book titled Bold Love, which sought to explain the difference between loving an evil person versus loving a fool versus loving a normal, normal sinner, right? And that was through the three categories that the, the author was working on. Uh, and the book addresses specific questions such as, what does it mean to honor a wicked parent? Or how do I love an abusive person without opening myself up to more damage? Very important question, very practical, relevant questions, right? It's a helpful book. And so before I close the message, I wanted to offer some practical wisdom in this area, as I'm sure we're all trying our very best to navigate through the challenges of actually loving our enemies. And I'm not claiming to have all the answers, and this, these authors, they don't claim to have all the answers as well, but I'm at least hoping to lay down some helpful guidelines while offering you some needed encouragement and hope in the midst of your own personal battles. I know it's not easy. I have my enemies as well. But here's one of my most favorite quotes found in this book. I think about these different categories, okay? The love for equals is a human thing, right? A friend for a friend, brother for brother, you know, brother loving brother, sister loving sister. It is to love what is loving and lovely. The world smiles at this kind of love. The love for the less fortunate is a beautiful thing. The love for those who suffer, the love for those who are poor, the love for those who are sick, the love for those who are considered failures in this world, the love for the unlovely. This is compassion, and this kind of love, it touches the heart of the world. And then you have the love for the more fortunate. This is a rare thing, right? This is love for those who are successful, this is a love for those who are richer than you, right? This is to rejoice without envy those who are doing better in life than you. This is the love a black man may have for a white man, vice versa. The world is always bewildered by such a love. And then there is love for the enemy. Love for the one who does not love you but mocks, threatens, and inflicts pain upon you. The tortures love for the torturer. And this, brothers and sisters, the authors, actually this is not the author speaking, but they're quoting from someone else. This is God's love, and this love conquers the world. I would recommend this book to any of you, especially if you're struggling to love someone in your life because you're just not sure what that love is supposed to look like, practically speaking, okay? I was gonna offer this book to any of you wanting to read it, but someone already claimed it during nine o'clock service, okay? So the early bird gets the worm, I guess, right? So uh, uh, if you wanna read it, I guess you have to either purchase it or wait for Sahi to finish it first, okay? Sahi claimed it. Now, for this morning, let me offer you a simple framework that consists of three different levels of love. And you have to remember, though, that all of these can be appropriate expressions of love as long as your purpose is to move toward reconciliation with the person who offended you, 
who wrongs you. Right? That, that should be your purpose and your end goal. Right? Your hope, at least. That should be your hope. Right? To live peaceably with all as much as you can. As far as it depends upon you. First level, basic level. It's very basic. Right? This is the foundation of everything. It's basically showing kindness to people, right? showing basic kindness to others. Right? Our, our passage says today to bless those who curse you. Right? Not, not, it doesn't say it's okay to curse back at those who curse you. That's just human nature. Someone curses at you, guess what? We feel justified to curse back. Why not? Right? That's what road rage is. It says, pray for those who persecute you. It's not, it's not, Lord, I pray that you would torment his soul in hell for all eternity. Amen. That's what I sometimes feel like praying. No, it's, it's Lord, soften his heart and awaken his conscience that he may see his sin and turn to you and be saved. I know that there are people in your lives who have wronged you. Well, I think the first step is for you to commit yourself to showing them basic kindness. But first, make sure they know, if it's possible, make sure they know that they have wronged you. Right? Sometimes you just assume that they don't even know. I've been on the other side as well. I, I'm, I'm just doing my regular thing, you know. I'm always meeting people, doing my thing. I'm always talking in front of people, so maybe some people get offended, I don't know. But I, I, I sense these cold shoulders, you know? <laughs> and uh, it's really hurtful. I'm sure some of you have experienced this as well, that you, you go in for a handshake, and then they just ignore you. They walk by, right past you, like, wow, that really hurts. I mean, you're making yourself vulnerable, right? And then they totally reject you in front of people. It's very hurtful, and they know it's hurtful. That's why they do it, right? Or you, you, kind of, you say hi, you try to greet someone warmly, say hi, and they just, again, they walk right past you. It's very hurtful, and you don't even know why. And so I think one, one just way to be kind is to be open and honest with others. And another form of being kind, even if you have a Ill, you know, some ill feelings toward people, toward anyone, I think, I'm just kind of thinking of practical examples here. Someone walks behind you. It means keeping the door open, okay? It doesn't mean going in and just, I hate that guy. <laughs> Slam the door right, right in his face. That's not basic kindness, you know? Warmly greeting people, even if you have something against the person. If you view your parents as your enemy, I doubt that many of you do. Maybe some of you do. I know that some of you just, your parents are difficult, but you wouldn't count them as enemies. But you have difficult parents, okay? Well, basic kindness means that you still speak to them respectfully, right? And you make sure that their basic needs are taken care of. You don't ignore them. You don't lash out at them. And then there's an the intermediate level, right? This is when the wrongdoer is still committing wrong, 
without any clear signs of repentance. Just kind of rampaging through the village, so to speak, you know, just doing damage after damage, harming people. Well, in that case, you have to set clear boundaries. You can't be stupid, okay? You can't be dumb. You can't be thinking like, oh, I'm just gonna love the person who's gonna do whatever he wants to do. No. You do what you can to set clear boundaries. And so you, you try to stop evil in its tracks. I mean, you would never allow someone who is caught in the act of abuse, right, to continue to have normal interactions with the abused, right? You would do what you can to stop the abuse. And there's one character in The Glory, the K-drama, where, I mean, there's a father figure and a husband just beating his wife after drinking, you know, each night, is beating his wife and his daughter, and no one's stopping it. I, I was like, no, that's not, that's not the right way to go about this. That's not loving, right? You have to do what you can to stop the sin. Allowing sin to continually reign in your relationship without any parameters is not love. That is folly. I've been on the guilty side many times throughout my life. I, I, I was thankful that there were people in my life who were sensible enough to stop me from continuing to sin. I remember in college, I was just very loose with my mouth uh, because I was <clears throat> living in an apartment with a younger sort of, he, I mean, we're in the same, we're in the same year at the time, but he was younger than me, and I, I felt like he's my younger brother. I could just kind of kick him around <laughs> and uh, you know mistreat him and be fine. It's just, that's the kind of relationship I was envisioning, I guess, for a time. And and uh, he decided to take a stand finally, and thank God he did. He said, "Paul, do you think you can say anything you want to?" Right? I can't believe you just said that to me. He put his foot down one day, and thankfully I had the sense to say sorry, I'm so sorry. I realized I, I, I've gone too far, right, my bad. That's an example of setting parameters. You create healthy boundaries. You know, a few weeks ago I mentioned how we need to uh, treat our older men in the church as fathers, remember that passage? Well. I confess, I, I've not always been perfect with that either. You know, there was an incident over there, and, and with the, we had a, a joint officers meeting with the KM, so a bunch of KM leaders and EM leaders gathered, gathered in the sanctuary over there, and I lost my temper, okay? So I, I felt like we were being wronged in some way, and so I lashed out angrily. I wasn't treating my older, the older men in the church as fathers, I spoke inappropriately at the time. And in that moment, in the heat of the moment, I thought I was fully justified. It was, it was fine. I was doing the right thing. I may have been saying the right things, but I was not speaking respectfully at all. And so I had to apologize afterwards. I was confronted, first of all. I was confronted by some godly men, and I had to correct the, my course. And so I had to apologize to everyone in the room. Happened to anybody, right? So think about that. Proper discipline 
is a form of love because it opens up doors for repentance. If there is no discipline, how can someone like me or any sinner realize the damage they have caused? It would not, it would not lead to true repentance, you see. And if there's no repentance, then how can there be true forgiveness? Right, the two go hand in hand. I don't like when people talk about forgiveness all the time without seeking repentance. It's like kind of empty, it's, it's kind of shallow. Right? There's something missing because repentance needs to lead to forgiveness, leads to, needs to lead, lead to what? Restoration and reconciliation, that's the end goal. But if you're missing pieces in between, then how can you truly have reconciliation? two-way street. You set parameters so that one can repent, so that there can be forgiveness offered, so that there can be reconciliation celebrated. That's a pathway we should pursue. Kindness, though, is important because without kindness, things escalate very quickly and it keeps on escalating if you choose not to be kind, if you, if you choose to just lash out. One thing happens, and then injustice happens, you lash out. Well, guess what? You lash out, and then the other party lashes out the same, and it just keeps on escalating. There is nothing, no repentance, no forgiveness, no restoration, no hope for it, if there is no basic kindness extended. I wanna read a portion from this book to kind of give you an idea of what kindness may look like. Now, some of you may not like the example, and I think some parts of it's just kind of okay, but I just, it, it drives home, home the point for me at least, okay? There's a woman who had, strong, who had a strong suspicion that her husband was having an affair, <clears throat> and she decided to fly into the city where he was conducting a business meeting to just kind of confirm that there was this affair going on. He had a pattern over several years of staying several days longer than needed in the same hotel, getting work done that he could easily uh, do at home. She got a separate room near his suite and waited and watched until he arrived late one night with a young woman in tow. They entered the room and remained there all night. What would you have done? A human instinct would be to lash out and completely humiliate both those people committing adultery. When they went to breakfast the next morning, she waited until they were seated and then walked to their table. She first spoke warmly to her husband and then introduced herself to her other enemy. She said, we have a great deal to talk about, but I'm not sure this is an appropriate time or place. If you would prefer, we could all talk in private or schedule another time to do so. Please uh, talk about that between the two of you and I'll wait in my room for a response. Have a good breakfast. She had not been hostile or subtly vindictive. She was in terrible pain, but her desire was to offer both of them grace so God would have room to work in their hearts. The offer of the other cheek had nothing to do with ignoring the harm or as grotesque as it sounds, encouraging the affair. And the story kind of goes on, but I hope you get the point of the importance of extending basic kindness if you truly want repentance, forgiveness, and reconciliation. The third level, I'll be rather quick, it's, it's an advanced level. 
It's when there is still no repentance. There is this, the author calls it the gift of excommunication, right? Cutting off the relationship or withholding of the relationship completely. And it, he writes, I quote, it's a kind of gift because it removes the immediate opportunity for sin and opens the door to loneliness and shame. And also I quote, being cut off from a relationship is a taste of hell. And that's what excommunication is meant to do. It's meant to give the sinner a taste of hell so that they could be more prone to repent after realizing what he or she had done. That's the purpose behind excommunication. It's not meant to be a vindictive thing. It's meant to be done in hopes of, again, repentance, forgiveness, and reconciliation at its core. But please don't misapply this, okay? Don't, don't flippantly mark people off as irreparable or totally evil and so I can't, do, no. Do not be so quick to cut them off your contact list. Do not be so quick to unfriend people from your lives. Excommunication is meant to be the very last resort after you've exhausted all means. You, if necessary, you set appropriate boundaries, okay? Like, as I've said, the intermediate level. And in extreme cases, just know that there is room for withholding their relationship altogether. Okay? And that, that too is an expression of love. Now, brothers and sisters, if, if you've been so hurt, and I know that there are a few out there, you've been so hurt that you can't open up your heart to even consider going down this path of reconciliation, I can understand. But I'm here to remind you as a messenger of God that God loved you first when you were once his enemy. And that is why you're here, because he has restored that relationship with you when you did not deserve anything from him. And so you too are called to extend that same supernatural gift of grace toward those who have harmed you. That is our high calling as believers. I know it's not easy, but with God, all things are possible. I quote one more time from the book, Bold Love says, the task of loving an evil person requires supernatural intervention. The battle is not yours, it is the Lord's ultimately. The only motivation strong enough to propel you in battle is an unquenchable desire to know the mighty God who changed your heart first, but who also can change the evil person's heart as well. Do not lose that hope. Do not give up so quickly. I pray that as we consider not just why Jesus entered into Jerusalem, headed to the cross, but how he did it. How did he? He did it humbly. Not on a war horse, but on a donkey. He chose to love his enemies not to seek revenge over us. How grateful we ought to be. And so let's resemble him as we seek to follow Christ.
May this week serve as a blessing to you as you continue to reflect upon God's grace upon our lives. And may he speak to you personally, no matter where you may be on this continuum. Let's pray together. Dear Father, thank you for not seeking revenge on us. Thank you for not making us the objects of your wrath. As those who were once your enemies, we surely deserve to be treated as such, but by your mercy, you have lavished your love upon us instead. We thank you for such, such grace. So we ask that you would help us treat our own enemies with such grace as well, that we would not be filled with rage and commit murder with our hearts as we think about them. Rather, grant us supernatural grace to bless those who have harmed us and pray for those who have cursed us. Give us the courage to forgive those we have sufficient reason to hate and despise. And as we commit to loving our enemies and living supernaturally, may our church community become a little more like your kingdom here on earth. Thank you for your love once again. Help us to love others the same. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So stand together and give praise to God.